welcome to Blake Street Banter, where one of us knows what the word banter means. The other one's along for the ride. And the other one's actually playing baseball right now at 9 o'clock in the morning in California. Fuck you, Kirk. Uh, James, say hi. Hey. A little jealous of Kirky right now. California sun and some ball, some baseball being played. It's pretty early for a ball game, if you ask me. Yeah, what do you say that he's going to guarantee a strikeout his first at bat because it's just too damn early? To he's just trying to stop throwing out him? He's just trying to make an excuse for when he does strike out first at bat. <laughs> Probably. Um, looking forward to that text later to see how he does. I always, always enjoy his little game updates, how he's doing. Uh, first things first, bullpen implosions. Where we at? Where we at, Mike? Um, I'm thinking we're at um, six. We we were going to be at seven, but uh, Tapia uh, bailed us out with a walk-off. Yeah. So can you refresh us all what, what an actual implosion is? Because, shoot, I was even texting you the other night. Like, what is an implosion? To me, it's when it's – um, we're either winning or it's a tied game and it's a sixth inning or later, meaning the starting pitcher has most likely been lifted. Um, if it ever happened where the starting pitcher gave up runs in the sixth, then it, it doesn't count. But uh, when the bullpen comes in and tie game or we're winning and then next thing you know, we're losing by a couple runs and lose the game, then that's an implosion. That's the implosion. And we have confirmed that a warning is less severe than a watch. Okay, so follow us on Twitter, and we'll let you know when the when the warning's happening, so you don't have to watch the game. We do you watch. Seek, the yeah, you can seek shelter, and we'll let you know. We'll give you updates, and we'll let you when it's not an implosion, like the tap tap tapia walk off. God, that was sweet. We'll get back to we'll get that to him a little bit. Um, I do want to talk about our series win, our sweep against the Astros. Uh, the Astros came to town. Snow. They brought the snow with them. It seemed like. Um, and game one, John Gray, I felt like dominated. It was actually like the one game I'm able to like sit and watch. I watched first through six until he was pulled and his stuff was electric. It was so much fun. Piping 95, his slider was on point through a changeup every once in a while. And he was grooving the pitches in and out. Like he looked like a first round stud that finally got it together. Um, I just, I just want to talk about that forever. He was so good that night. Well, uh, you know, he was really good, but at the same time it was, I think 20 degrees and uh, I don't know about you, but if I'm hitting in that kind of weather, I really don't want to pull the trigger very often. Yeah. 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 That's what they kept saying on the, on the broadcast too, but get up there, hit the ball. Yeah. I mean, they're going to try. It doesn't mean they're going to have fun doing it. It's like Anthony Rendon whenever he plays, right? Like he hates baseball, but he still does it really well. <laughs> That's very true. And Michael Brantley, he had John Gray's number. Michael Brantley well, is just a professional hitter. Yeah, I was going to say, talk about a professional hitter. He's good. He's good. Um, Crone had his breakout game that game. So that was game one of the Astros. He had his five, five RBIs, one home run. Is he officially here? Has he officially shown up to the Rockies? No, I don't think so. You don't think so? No, his average is barely at 200. He, he put a charge into a couple balls, and he's doing that more consistently than he was at the beginning of the year. But, I mean, if you want me to put my eggs in the crone basket, I ain't doing it. He's looked good this home series. 
okay, well, let's do it over a 15, 20 game stretch and then revisit. Okay, you're just a hater. Yeah, he has what, five, five hits in four games, two home runs, six RBIs. And it's not Crone's fault that I'm that I'm not being optimistic about it. It's it's just I'm mad because it's it's a bright edge move where he's added just, you know, another veteran power hitting first baseman and the 10 before didn't work, but this one, you know, he's actually contributing, which is nice. But if he does end up like being awesome, it's just going to make Bridich think what he's doing is correct. <laughs> and it's not. I, he might be, I'm going to throw this out there. Um, I looked at Arenado and McMahon's um, stat cast stuff today. Like I didn't look at their actual stats. I might look it up here now, but McMahon is arguably better stat cast wise than Arenado. Did Bridget know that McMahon is the man at third base and we can get rid of the quote unquote headache that is Nolan? I think there's a lot of there's a lot of layers there. And I don't know how many of them I'm willing to unpack at this moment, but the stat cast early in the season, yes, take it with a huge grain of salt. But what about the the defense? I mean, how many runs saves? I mean, have you looked into that? Because McMahon's, McMahon's been solid, but, I mean, you can definitely tell that there's a glaring hole defensively. No. Glaring hole. Did you not see his play last night? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I mean, he's, he's fine, but he's not a six-time gold glove winning platinum all-star greatest of all time defensive third baseman. I mean, to his, to his credit, he hasn't had the chance to be a five-time gold glove winner six seven eight time platinum of all that all right i'm getting mike on this i mike's on on it on this side too we might have to come back to this argument i'm just make i'm brightage might have known what he had in mcmahon and we've talked to him remember our conversation with Dooley in um december he just said mcmahon has it whatever it is he's good he's gonna have it and it's gonna be great um yeah. let's do it for 162 this time Man, you are just a tough crowd right now. <laughs> just tough crowd. I mean, I'm critical because I care. <laughs> you really just want it to happen. Yeah, we do might you, have to come you, back to this in a little bit. Do you know what the difference between patriotism and nationalism is? No, please explain it to me. So, um, nat uh, nationalism is I'm sorry let me say patriotism first okay patriotism is when you have pride in you have love and pride for your country for what it does nationalism is when you have pride and love for your country no matter what it does so if we translate that to the sports context like I am a Rockies patriot I have love and pride for what they do but I don't have love and pride no matter what they do, right? Right. So I can still be critical and, you know, have that Rockies pride, if you will. But, you know, excuse me if I'm going to challenge you to do it for, for a complete year. Okay. That's fair, I guess. That's fair. I mean, yeah. I'm still going to take this as a win right now. Brightest looks like Yeah, it's fun to watch. 
it's fun to watch because the expectations are so low. So, and I really like the point you brought up a couple broadcasts ago is that, um, you know, we were playing the Dodgers eight out of our first 12 games and the Padres and some really good pitching staffs. And it was ugly to watch. Um, but now that we're getting kind of into some middle of the pack clubs, it's fun to, to squeak a couple out and compete a little bit better. Right. It's yeah, it's fun. They're, they're actually really fun to watch. Like I watched till the end last night when they really didn't have a chance to win, but I was still watching just cause they kind of have that feeling, that gut feeling right now with it. Well, that's the thing about Coors is like, even when it looks like they don't have a chance, they have a chance. Yeah. Yeah. We saw that with the, the Astros in the, the Phillies game, game one, whatnot. Um, game two against the Astros when we got the second win, the series sweep, Gomber came in to a second start in Coors and continued his hot streak of just having a sexy ass uh, curveball. Did you see it? Yeah. I mean, um, you could see it on the road in the first, the first two starts after his first one in Coors, you could see it on the road and you're like, man, that thing is, is uh, nasty. That, that's an A-plus curveball. But, you know, let's – translating that to Coors Field, as obviously you know, the many pitchers, many, the couple Rockies pitchers that we've talked to all talk about how it's so difficult to adjust to Coors Field and so on and so forth. So it looked like Gomber figured it out that game. Um, you know, let's hope it's not a Tyler Chatwood situation where yeah, where on the road it's, it's like the most amazing thing ever, and then at home it's – you. You know, you can't control it. You don't know where it's going. You can't – the movement's all different, all of that stuff. So maybe scouting department did get something right with the Gomber asking for Gomber. Yeah. I mean, Gomber has a lot to do to, like, make the trade worth it. I mean, $50 million worth pretty much mm -hmm. and gold glove. But yeah. from these first four starts, if we can hold on to him with this staff and for five, six years or get a good return with him, not could be mad. Yeah, yeah. If he if he becomes a solid number two, number three guy, uh, somebody that's consistent. I mean, that's best case scenario in my mind. Right, but consistency. As well, you'll hear in the interview that we're gonna be popping up at the end of this. Consistency is very hard in Coors, um, from game to game, from year to year, all that. Uh, we'll yep. see what happens. I do want to go back. Mike got back to me. He looked up the defensive war so far for 2021. Yes. At the NL leaders so far, like we're what, 15, 20 games in. Ryan mm -hmm. McMahon is tied for first in D war right now. Yeah. And actually, Mike passed me a note over here too. And McMahon's playing um, second base and third base. Yep. Uh, at just third base, he has accounted for three defensive runs saved above average. Okay. Um, whereas his um, counterpart in St. Louis has only, uh, I shouldn't say only, but very closely has two defensive runs saved. So if you want to use that as a metric, Brian McMahon is um, having more of a defensive impact at the moment. At the moment. At the moment. At the moment. And offensively. McMahon, 13 RBIs, seven home runs. 
Nolan, four home runs, 12 RBIs. I think the best part about it too is that um, Nolan for years and years and years and just talked about how he can't win um, as a Rocky and he wants to go somewhere where he can win and all of that stuff. I don't know if you check the standings, but um, the Cardinals are 10 and 10. So they won two straight, but before that, they're in dead last. So, you know, 500 ball. That's what you want, I guess. Go for it, bud. And let's just put all of our eggs in this basket of the beginning of the season. Let's put all the weight of this. Like, not, don't even think about law of averages. Just mm-hmm. so far, we're winning. Something like that. If, if somehow we can. <laughs> I mean, the poetic justice here is clearly that if the Rockies somehow, somehow had a, better, had a better record than the Cardinals at the end of the season, I would, it would just be the, the cherry on top. It would be great. We don't even need to make the playoffs. Don't even have to have a winning record. But if somehow, some way, we have a game or two above St. Louis, which I know is very unlikely, um, I might have a toast to that. Put some butter on it. Um, what – when does a win streak start? Is it two games, two wins, or three wins? Um, hang on, I gotta ask Mike a question. Because <laughs> I was thinking, if you just win two in a row, like you start the streak. One, one win, nothing. Two wins, you started the streak. Then I saw a few things on the internet that said it's not a win streak until you hit to three. And I was, I don't know, it just came up because the Astro sweep technically a win streak, right? Yeah, I mean, as the um, famous Lou Brown once said, um, you know, if you win one today, that's going to be two in a row. Um, some people call that a winning streak, and it has happened before. That's what I was thinking. I was going with that. That was in the back of my head. Because I mean, you know, who Lou, you know who Lou Brown is, right? Yeah, Major League. It's the whole, yes. that's the whole aura of the Colorado Rockies 2021. <laughs> It is major league. We just we need some more personalities to show up, but we're getting there. Yes. Uh, so win streak extended game one against the Phillies. We were on bullpen bullpen implosion watch. Then it was the bullpen implosion warning, and then mucho swagger came up, hit the walk off with probably the coolest pimp job walk off ever in Rocky's history where he just threw the bat stares at his team before even like watching the ball and just kind of had like a little grin on his face. And it was one of the greatest things I've seen in a hot, hot minute. And so implosion was averted. averted. There's the word I was looking for. And we got a sweet walk off. See rock off as you may say. A rock off. Yeah, a rock off. Thank you, Rocky's <laughs> Twitter game one one hundred. It was, but that was again another game. I think you and I were texting the entire time until twelve thirty on Eastern time, just going back and forth and tap 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 you up. Got it, and that's the swag that I missed since cargo. We talked a little bit about last night in our uh, Discord. I miss the cargo swag, and I want Tapia to be the cargo swag we need. Yeah, he can do it. He's not gonna be cargo obviously but that's the best moment of the the young season in my opinion Mm -hmm. oh for sure 
are Almonte struggling that game? He was part of the implosion warning transitioning to a watch. Yeah. One third of an inning, two earned runs, two hits. Just hasn't been able to find it consistently. Well, unfortunately, um, he's not the only one. Um, no. Ben Bowden's got a 13 ERA last 13, time I looked. Five. Yep. Um, there are a couple guys that are doing pretty well, though. Um, Mr. Shetfield. Yeah. Vanderbilt. He, um, against the Phillies last night, had a one, two, three inning. So um, that's nice. Shashin's been pitching nice as the long guy. He did give up three runs off that home run to Hoskins, which ultimately beat, was the difference in the game. But for the most part, he's been, I mean, he's been everything that you can ask out of a long, out of a long guy out of the pin. So I don't know. The, the bullpen is going to be the, <laughs> the, Hardest thing to watch all year because there's going to be games where we slug. There's going to our pitching staff has been amazing. The rotation, the rotation compared yeah. to expectations. Yeah, the bullpen's the the thing that's letting us down and will let us down for the remainder of the year. I'm afraid. Yeah, but I mean that's why we're here for you all for the implosions. I'm just like Almonte though. He was the man that we were supposed to count on. He was supposed to be that seven slash eight inning guy, and without a doubt Yancey to Bard Yancey to Givens to Bard and it just makes me nervous that 2020 was a fluke and I don't want that to be true well as you remember from a pretty awesome interview that we had recently you know it's hard to translate any success from year to year you might be able to do it for one or two but to do it for multiple Especially for a young guy like that, it's um, just hard to replicate. Right, right. Got to got to figure it out for sure. All right, and then game three starts in literally an hour. Um, we don't have anything. We are. I'm watching Gray. He's getting his start tonight. Hopefully yeah, he's been great. He's been great. Just executes great. Can we do that? Great. I mean, we can uh, certainly try. <laughs> don't expect anybody to like it, but it could happen. We'll put that out there and see what happens as next start. Uh, before we kind of end this, did you see the All-Star Game logo? And do you like it? Um, some people were complaining online about uh, it was too similar to last year's. That was in Anaheim. Um, just yeah. because of the star and all that stuff. But, like, they are kind of limited because it seems like they have to have the star in there somewhere, right? And um, they put the Rockies logo mountains like on my hat in the star at the bottom of the star for anybody that hasn't seen it. I think it's fine. I like it. I do too. I have no problem with it. No. That all-star game in Anaheim was in 2010, but th that's the one they're comparing. It is very similar, but there's mountains. It's purple. I really like the purple and the shades of gray on it. Yeah, I, I think it looks I think it looks pretty sharp. I, I have no qualms with it. Okay. I don't either. I think it's getting a lot of, a lot of fanfare for it too. Um, and yeah, so enjoy game three. Hopefully the Rockies win and get those series, two series in a row wins. That might be fun. Um, and just sit back and listen to our interview with game one world series, 2007 starter, Jeff Francis. I mean, he comes to mind. You'll hear right off the bat. He comes to mind every time we think of Colorado Rockies pitchers. 
Um, and we, he sat down with us for about 30, 40 minutes last night, just talking, pitching. There were about 15 other questions I wanted to ask him. We didn't even get to ask him about the World Series, what that was like pitching in that kind of moment. Didn't even get to talk to him about his reign as Canadian baseball. Um, royalty. Royalty. And they're just, I could have talked to him for probably another 30 minutes about all that stuff. But he opened up a little bit and it was really fun getting his insight. Just see, yeah. what, see what he hears about, says about uh, Phillies fans, huh? <laughs> Uh, he's got an interesting take on the one and only no hitter that we have. That yeah. uh, kind of shocked me a little bit. Yeah, I did, guess I never really realized that piece about that. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Uh, yeah, enjoy it. it. It was fun to do last night. It was great. And Kirk was part of it. He was able to do that and ask some good questions. So sit back, enjoy, relax. Let us know what you think. Um, share us your thoughts. Find us on Twitter. Find us on um discord every once in a while we'll be posting on twitter letting us know when we just go live and watch the game do a pre-game stuff and whatnot and share subscribe listen download and all the good stuff leave us a review we'll read it we love you guys go rocks Woo! welcome to blake street banter one of us knows what the word banter means the other three are just along for the ride james say hi hi kirk say what's up What's up? And we are joined by Jeff Francis. What's Hello. Up, Hello. <laughs> I had a whole introduction ready to go, typed it out, did my research on it, and I deleted it. I just wanted you to know we do talk about you quite a bit. Just <laughs> okay. <laughs> as Rockies fans, like you're usually the first pitcher that comes to mind. We always bring you up when we're talking, arguing about the Coors effect and um, just the fact that we have you on here is super exciting. Again, just because you've been part of our dialogue for, I don't know, shoot, 20, 27 years, 28 years now. Or, I mean, obviously not that long, but um, so thanks. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm glad to be here. I think it's, I think the further I get from my playing career, the, the more fun it is to kind of think back on it. You know, this, I don't think this is something I would have done while I was playing. Right. Because I was just too aware of, of maybe not aware, but I, I just, I didn't like to talk about it, you know, <laughs> but I think it's been long enough now since I threw my last pitch that it is fun to, to think about it. If in some ways it feels like another life, but, um, you know, I have young kids and as they get older, I think I'll probably relive it a little more and it'll mean a little more to them, but this is fun. So it's fun to think about the good old playing days. Yeah, so going off of that, what are you what are you up to now? Uh, well, I try to as far as baseball goes. I mean, I was involved before the pandemic. I'm involved with the the junior national program in Canada. Um, so I was a, a pitching coach for that program, which is um, you know not a constant thing, but a, a few trips a year, usually to the U.S. or um, if there's any world championships or anything. So that's my involvement with baseball specifically other than coaching my own children I have three young children who one girl who plays softball and then two boys who are too young to say they're ball players but they they enjoy at least playing in the front yard so um you know other than that with with young children there's no shortage of things to do around the house and um you know that's really what I enjoy doing I I have really haven't looked back since the last day I played baseball 
How, gotcha. how many broken windows have you gone through? <laughs> yeah, so at least at the, to this point, uh, the windows have been stationed behind my children as I throw, because I've, I've noticed <laughs> one, of, one of the superheroes for a dad who used to play professional baseball is I can hit the glove every time. So I haven't broken any windows or any noses or orbital bones yet. So um, I, I'm lucky I can, I can hit the glove just about every time when I play catch with them. You haven't lost it. You haven't lost it. I not remember. not inside 60 feet anyway. I haven't. <laughs> I mean anything beyond that, I, I, I can't really get it there anymore. <laughs> That's awesome. I remember I think Kirk was probably in the backyard with us. Me, my brother, and all my friends, we play in the backyard. We had this one window, it would have been right down first baseline that we hit probably about four times in two years. <laughs> and my mom just finally threw her hands up and said, No more. You guys have to go to the park and play, I'm not playing out here. Yeah, and we had to do some extra chores, so I had to ask that. Um, <laughs> um, I you mentioned that you just you're kind of getting more comfortable with talking about your playing career. We are playing the Rockies are playing the Phillies right now. I want to go back to that game one in LDS um, where you're the game one starter, getting the second win of the Rockies postseason history, all of that. Um, what do you remember about that? How big? of a thrill was that after your Rocktober um, run? Just tell me, tell us everything that you remember about that outing because you were kind of on fire. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think, I think because I was, I mean, I wasn't that young, but I, I, I feel like I was pretty new, at least to playoff baseball. We all were, right, as a team. And, and I think the fact that I didn't know that I was going to be pitching that game until about 36 hours before the game started helped me because I didn't have too much time to think about the enormity of the game, especially pitching in Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the way we won game 163 and then you didn't land in Philadelphia till about eight o'clock the next morning. Um, you know, I, I didn't really get to sleep because I was the only one on the team that had to go to the ballpark because I was the starting pitcher for the following day and had to do press conferences and media stuff. So I didn't, I, I mean, I may have slept for a few hours that night and then tried to get a good night's sleep at least the night before the game. But um, I remember just it just being a, a tornado and really not, like I said, not being able to understand how, <laughs> what a big deal it was. Um, it started, I, I rolled into the ballpark, you know, as a starting pitcher, you might roll in a little later than, and most people, and I, I came in alone and I'm walking through the tunnel in the stadium and, and there's like one cameraman from, you know, some Philadelphia news station. And he's like filming me all the way down the hallway, like backpedaling. He's got the camera right in my face. And I'm walking like the tunnel is it's probably, you know, it's probably like a half mile walk from the right field corner <laughs> to where our uh, clubhouse is. And he's just got the big bright light right in my face. And and about halfway down the walk, I'm like, are you enjoying this? <laughs> and I probably got on the news somewhere in Philadelphia. You know, they're all like, even the news people there are probably trying to intimidate you. You know, they're trying to give the Phillies any kind of an edge that they can. Um, and it wasn't until I got out on the field for the first pitch that it kind of hit me. And then I don't know if you remember how the game went, but I went 3-0 and on the first batter, uh, who was Jimmy Rollins. 
and it's you know it's playoff baseball in philadelphia people are yelling and screaming it's about as loud as i've ever experienced mm-hmm. at least at the time and uh i go three and oh on jimmy rollins and and you know that you try to keep those thoughts out of your head like do i belong here and uh i came back i came back and struck him out and um struck out the next two guys in that inning too and it was one two three and then it got quiet and it was like, okay, uh, here we are. And we've started the game. And then I think the top of the second, we might've scored two or three runs. So yeah. that put me at ease. And I kind of was able to cruise at least until the sixth inning. I gave up back-to-back homers, but we were still up three to two. And then I finished the sixth and I got to enjoy going out to warm up for the seventh because Clint Hurdle had told me that I was going to go warm up. Like he, uh, he needed more time for, I think it was maybe uh Brian Fuentes that came in or, or Latroy Hawkins who came in, but he needed more time for them to warm up. So I was going to go up and throw my warm-up pitches for the top of the seventh. So I got to just enjoy it because I knew I wasn't, I didn't knew I didn't have to pitch. So that's, <laughs> and then once the innings ready to start, Clint comes and takes the ball. So I got to enjoy my walk off the mound too. <laughs> that's pretty cool. That's inside baseball. Never even think about that piece. That's awesome. Yeah. So like, what's your, what's your mindset, especially in, I mean, what's your typical mindset when you're going out for a start? Are you kind of nervous? Are there some jitters there? I mean, especially in a playoff game, there's got to be, right? Yeah, I was, I was a pretty nervous guy, um, at least before the game. I, I wasn't nervous during the game because I, I, I was, I always felt like if, if I, if I, if I came to a game prepared, then things would take care of themselves. Um, but yeah, like leading up to a game, I, I didn't handle anticipation very well. In fact, um my good friend who Corey Sullivan we had the same rookie year together so we spent a lot of time together and he's you know he's all over the Rockies broadcasts and Mm -hmm. I'm sure he tells the story on the air to embarrass me a lot but I used to throw up quite a bit before games (laughs) wow and uh at least my first two years I I mean I got control of it eventually but (laughs) my first two years so I had this start I was in St. Louis and um, of course, we're the road team. So the top of the first goes up and we're, I'm about to go out for the bottom of the first inning. And Corey's glove was on the bench right next to, to where I was. And I'm, I'm about to go out and I just, I threw up, I threw up on the, I threw up in the dugout and it kind of like splashed onto him, onto his like <laughs> shoes. And he goes, are you okay? He's like, are you okay? And I go, don't tell anybody. And then I ran, I ran, ran out onto the field. I think I think Corey likes to tell that that story. He probably told that in the air a few times. But yeah, in a game like in Philly, I I don't remember throwing up specifically before that game. But there's always nerves. I, I feel like I had nerves until the last day of my career, and I felt like if I didn't have nerves, I didn't care as much. So I I I I'd, I'd have nerves March first, and I'd have nerves October tenth. So. Um, you know, I, my last outing as a, as a Toronto Blue Jay was in a 13 to one game pitching in the eighth inning. And I was just as nervous for that game. So, um, yeah, I, I did I mean, kind of want to, what's that? I did, I did kind of want to talk about that a little bit because watching you pitch, it never really seemed like you had a whole, you didn't show a lot of emotion. So you never really knew what was going on in your head or anything. And you always seemed pretty, calm and cool but i guess on the inside we didn't, we didn't know inside, but yeah on the inside and as a rocky we had a lot of bad games a lot of losing seasons i had a lot of bad games i know personally and 
inside there's a lot of frustration one of my favorite athletes as a kid was Pete Sampras and I never played competitive tennis but I loved watching it and I loved watching him and I remember he, uh, seeing an interview of his I must have been I don't know 10 12 years old because this is kind of how I modeled myself was he said that he didn't like to show emotion because he didn't want the guy across the net knowing what he was thinking you know he didn't want if he was getting his butt beat in then he wanted the other guy across the net thinking gosh i'm beating the crap out of this guy why isn't this guy frustrated why isn't this guy um going crazy um and it, it's the same the other way right if if you're beating somebody you don't want to show too much emotion because you just you know at some day it's going to come back around to you so that's kind of how i always tried to pitch or tried to compete was was following that example have so going back to go ahead go ahead aaron uh, so has that mentality since you're not a player anymore and you watch the game evolving now with a lot more emotions happening on the field, like Kershaw and Profar were getting at it the other day, like as a fan, do you appreciate it a little bit different or how, how, what's your perspective on it as like an ex ball player? Like on the emotion shown on the field, like I saw that yeah. Kershaw thing the other day. Um, and, and I could see that being frustrating you know I, I'm not sure I could have reacted the way Kershaw did because I'd be thinking about the next pitch I had to make not that Kershaw wasn't and and Kershaw is probably as good as at that as anybody in the history of baseball but um, I just know that if I got too excited I'd be taking myself out of the next pitch so I'm not sure I could have ever reacted the way but I I still am a big fan of watching baseball and I watch guys flip bats or I watch pitchers fist pump after big strikeouts and and I love it I, I really wish I could have done that but I don't think I could have I don't think I would have been at my best if I tried to do those things mm -hmm. you know I, I I wish I could have I mean if I could have been a hitter great but if, if I could have felt so much at ease on a ball field that I could flip a bat after hitting a ball that would have been nice but <laughs> there's, yeah. there's no way I could have ever done it yeah yeah, I'm not sure that fits your personality, your persona. No, no, and it wouldn't, or or would it help me be good the next time at bat? But for some people, it does. They're just so good at it that, you know, they can just live in the moment like that, I guess. Did it ever get under your skin? Obviously, you're not going to show the emotion, but, like, did it ever get under your skin when others were showing emotion? Um, like, especially, specifically, like, against you? I don't think I ever noticed, really, in the moment. I... I I can only think of a few times where, where somebody really like enjoyed their homer off me. And I, I didn't even see it in the moment. I saw it on tape after the game. Right. So um, I remember there was even one time in, in those very playoffs in the, in the NLC, NLCS against the Diamondbacks, where I, I hit Justin Upton with a pitch is in like the sixth inning or something. And I was so mad at myself for having done it. I didn't even notice him like staring at me because he th I guess he thought I did it on purpose. So I get the ball back and I'm, I'm walking around the mound, like stewing with myself. I guess Justin Upton is still staring at me from home plate. And Tulo is walking to the mound, yelling at Justin Upton for me. <laughs> I didn't even, I didn't even realize. So I guess I just had my head down so much. And I, and again, like, I don't think me getting upset at somebody flipping a bat is going to help me be any better right so 
Um, I could be frustrated with it all I want, but I think the more I give into that or the more I let that bother me, the more that I'm going to let that take me out of what I'm doing. Yeah. Changes your game. Yeah. 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 And that's a personal thing for me. I don't think, I think I probably, a lot of pitchers like to pitch angry. You know, I've read about Tyler Glass now. He likes to, to fabricate reasons that he's angry and that helps him pitch better. That wouldn't help work for me, but I like to re read that that works for him. <laughs> It makes a lot of sense then why, you know, you didn't really show a lot of emotion. It's because you were just so focused on what you're going to be doing next that it wasn't even a thought of yours. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, that's how I always competed. That's that, that model that I tried to follow off of some of my favorite athletes were my favorite athletes were guys who didn't show a lot of emotion. So was it really a, a one pitch at a time kind of mindset every time you were you're out there whether it's you know what the situation yeah. Is. yeah I think you try to simplify things as much as you can I mean as a as a pitcher I'm sure it's the same as a hitter but there's just a million things you could be thinking of you know you work on your delivery every time you throw a ball but when you get on the mound it needs to be out of your mind the things you practice have to just happen you need to practice them enough so that they just happen and you can think about the things you need to think about where like where the ball's going or or who the hitter is and your pitch selection and things like that mm -hmm. yeah was your was your game day routine any different than your off days it was a little i mean it was a little more relaxed on my non-pitching days right I, I i could show up to the ballpark i mean obviously i get there a lot earlier because a, a starting pitcher's job really is before the game and you just relax and watch the game but mm -hmm. um I would show up on a day and you probably find me joking or laughing a lot more on a day that I wasn't pitching because again, <laughs> I can't show that emotion when I'm pitching, right? It's, it doesn't work for me. Like even laughing, <laughs> like laughing wouldn't work for me <laughs> because I, I feel like I'd be taking my focus away, but some people can do it, you know? Yeah. I was always curious. I always playing Legion ball growing up. I always I had to mow the lawn before game day just to, be active it was just one of those yeah. things it was part of my routine and stuff and probably because you you did it once and then you threw a shutout or something and i definitely wasn't throwing shutouts i probably, <laughs> I got, probably got two singles and did get yelled at by the coach the guy the <laughs> yeah no, it wasn't shutouts but it was it was something like that i was like i just played better today and this is what i did that whole baseball superstition stuff um yeah. never touching the line and mowing the lawn i had to mow the lawn by noon if i was had to be there and it was just one yeah. of those things yeah uh, so i was just yeah wondering did you have any superstitions? did i have any superstitions yeah like any of those big ones you know baseball. i think as my career went on i tried not to like i tried i tried to go against them if i if i had any because i i really i didn't like relying on them i, pl I played with some really superstitious players and Todd Helton was as superstitious a guy as I've ever met. And it would almost, um, it would almost hamper him, you know, like it would almost, it would almost cripple him. I, I remember seeing him come up between at bats and, and he'd be taking bats out of other guys' lockers and, and flipping them around, just testing them and uh, taking roots to the ballpark. You know, if he got two, three hits one day, it had to be the same route to the ballpark the next day or the person he had lunch with on the road. If he got two, three hits that night, it had to be the same guy the next day. 
I tried not to do that. And you mentioned the stepping on the line thing. That's something that everybody does, right? So I remember later in my career, I tried to step on the line just, just to prove that it wasn't going to affect my outing that day. Um, so no, I wouldn't say I, I, I had any superstitions, but maybe not having superstitions is a superstition in itself. <laughs> maybe stepping on the line became a superstition. Who knows? Right, right. I did kind of want to go back to that, the one pitch at a time mentality and relate that to that 07 run where it's, it was hard not to look at the schedule and like, okay, we need to win all of these games. And you guys just, it just took it one game at a time. It, yeah. And I don't know if it, if it became that until the last three days of the season, I, I mean, I, I know we, we were like, we just kept winning and kept winning and kept winning, but I'm not sure we really thought that enough teams would lose that we could get in there. We just kind of were riding a wave and it was day, it was, we couldn't lose. And um, I don't think, yeah, like I said, I don't think it was until the last say seven days of the season where we were like thinking to ourselves, play, you know, this is going to be playoffs. Um, and I, and I don't think we even thought about not getting into the playoffs. I, I, it's, I guess it's hard to remember at this point, but nobody was nervous. Nobody was, nobody was saying we had to win all our games. We just kept winning, you know, and if we didn't win, we were right where we probably were supposed to be, I guess, you know, when you're, when you're the underdog team and you don't have a lot of expectation to live up to, that's, that's, I think that's an easier place to be as you can see by the 2008 Rockies who were expected to win a lot of games and did not. <laughs> yeah. Do you remember 163 pretty well in that 07 season? We hung out that day, by the way. You all, you all were there? Yeah, we, well, Kirk wasn't, sorry, Kirk, but Aaron and I were. <laughs> we were up on the purple row, what, first baseline, a little bit up. Okay. I think we painted our faces. We definitely we were... painted our faces. <laughs> it was, it was something else. I had, I was a freshman in college at the time, so I kind of had an excuse. Aaron was a sophomore or junior, so I'm not sure what he was doing. <laughs> I was there to have a good time, man. <laughs> game 163, come on, let's go. Yeah, yeah what a game. What a yeah. game. I, I remember thinking, because I knew if we won, I'd be the first pitcher in the playoffs. And how many times I went back and forth thinking, okay, I'm pitching. No, I'm not pitching. Okay, I'm pitching. No, I'm not pitching. And my, my brother actually got married that October in Croatia his wife's from Croatia so he got I got married October 13th in Croatia and I was I had my flights booked like we booked our flights in like July <laughs> you know not really thinking we're gonna make the playoffs so it was like okay I'm going to Philly no I'm going to Croatia no I'm going to Philly <laughs> and how many times during that game did you think like okay the Rockies are gonna the Rockies might win the Rockies no the Rockies aren't gonna win no they might win no they're not gonna win <laughs> We had, was in the top of the 13th and Scott Harrison hit a two run home run mm -hmm. and you could hear a pin drop. The people, 5,000 people. Failed. I heard Brian Giles of all people shouting from the dugout and I'm on the purple row. <laughs> really? Yeah, it was, it was pretty surreal. Uh, so anyway, I just want to know, did Holly touch the plate or not? <laughs> as far as i'm concerned he touched the plate <laughs> i'm not Good hey answer. look we'll put it this way if there was video replay i'm not sure they could have proved he didn't so they probably That's wouldn't have 
I think That's you're absolutely I right. Him. I feel like Tim McClellan could have had a more excited safe call there, though. <laughs> <laughs> it was a little dry. Yeah. Um, so you're Canadian. Um, I, would, I am very curious. We had a, a question from somebody that blogs for us. He's Canadian also, and he was just kind of curious how the recruitment stuff works up there. Like, was it any different? Like your journey, um, you went to like NAIA college and you got recruited and scouted on all that. Just kind of walk us through that journey. Like, what is there anything different up there? How does that kind of play out? I think I think now there's not much difference between you know, Canada and the US as far as scouting. I mean, I think at the time there probably was uh, less different. It was less different, but it really not to the extent it is now. I mean, now if, if you're, if you're a, a ball player and you're pretty good, you're gonna get seen, you know, one way or another. Right. And, and I think that was true in 2002 as well. Maybe not to such a great extent, but there were questions at least at that time, whether you could be seen, right? I mean, if, I don't know if you remember, if you know, or if you remember, but that year there was another Canadian drafted fourth overall. I went ninth but to the Rockies. There was another Canadian drafted fourth overall. And it was a, it was a big story and he was a high school pitcher. Um, but if, if you've got a guy with a talent who's going in the first round, he's going to be seen, whether he's in Canada, whether he's in the US or, you know, Mexico or Cuba or whatever. Um, but if, if I think at that time, scouts could find Canadian players that other teams weren't seeing. I don't think that's true anymore. I think if, if you're playing high-level baseball, then you're, you're probably playing on a team that's traveling to the U.S. a few times a year for big tournaments, and you're getting scouted. So right. I don't think that's a question anymore that, that Canadian players can't be found. Was it always baseball for you, or were you playing other sports too? growing up I played I played lots of sports as a kid I, I was just a kind of a sport kid whatever the season was I, I played baseball from a young age from five years old um and I always loved it but soccer was my first love I think as a young kid if you're just a fast runner you can you can play soccer well baseball I've, and learning this with young children is hard for little kids right if you might have a kid who can play who can catch but playing on a team full of full of five, six-year-olds is tough. So I, I fell in love with soccer at a young age. And then eventually it kind of grew too tall to be a fast runner anymore. <laughs> and in junior high school, fell in love with basketball because you could play it by yourself on the street um, until I was about 15. And then kind of realized once I started playing kind of like travel, I guess you call it baseball or high-level baseball, I realized it kind of that was my shot at being an athlete of some kind. I always wanted to be an athlete. You know, I always pictured myself playing in the NBA or playing in the NHL or playing in the MLB and just came around when I was 16, 17, that baseball was my only shot to, to at least play college baseball. So that was, that was my decision-making and whatever the season was, that was what I was playing. And I, I, that's what I try to do with my children now too is, they're just playing whatever is in season, right? They play hockey in the winters and soccer and baseball in the spring and summer. So that was one of my other questions was, uh, you know, what did you want to do when you were 
when you were a kid, you know, your first dream job, was it always being an athlete? And I mean, if it was, you know, when, when do you know, like baseball clicked for you? Like, when was that moment when you knew, like, I'm going to be something at this? I didn't know until I was in university. I, for me, I, I, I was always just trying to get to the next level. Right. And so I'm in high school and I was always a good player and a good pitcher, but I, I never was lighting up radar guns. So scouts weren't coming out to watch me, even though they were there to watch some other players. So they did see me and I was a good pitcher, but I wasn't a, a, a prospect yet, I guess you could say. So uh, I went to university and then I don't know if I just got stronger or whatever, but I started throwing harder and I started dominating and, you know, scouts started coming to look. I played a summer in the Alaska baseball league against you know d1 players and proved to myself i guess there that i could compete against some of the best players so i guess maybe sophomore year in university is when i kind of realized and then the draft was after junior year so it was only about a year there i had to even think about it yeah it happened pretty quick when it happened did yeah. how did the like drafting stuff work like did they rockies call you did you get a whole bunch of calls from other teams like how did how does that work? I got a lot of the standard, you know, scout comes and and sits in your house and talks to you and your parents just to get to know you. Um, I think just about every team came came around in in the winter before the draft. Um, I I don't remember talking to the Rockies a lot. I mean, sure they were at a lot of my games in the spring watching me pitch, but uh, they didn't call me really until the morning of the draft the the night before the draft the toronto blue jays had actually called and they i think they picked 11th or 12th that year uh, the rockies picked me ninth um and the blue jays said you know if we draft you at 11 will you sign for this and they, you know they make an offer i'm like yeah okay so then i think okay well blue jays are going to draft me and then maybe an hour or so before the draft started the rockies called and said will you sign for this and i said yes <laughs> And I think I only found out maybe a, a few years later that they were trying to draft an art span. Yeah, I read that. Who had demanded quite a bit of money and they weren't going to draft him. I span might have gone later in the first round. Um, and then so that fell through and then they called me, which, you know, was the, I mean, honestly, the best thing. I mean, I, I can't imagine my career having not have been drafted by the Rockies and Mm -hmm. I haven't spent all that time in Denver and I feel, I feel grateful. Do you feel like any um, intimidation, I guess? I mean, I, I don't know how prevalent the Coors effect talk was back in 02, but you know, was there any kind of added pressure? Did you think about it at all? You probably didn't think about it, right? It didn't even cross my mind on draft day, at least, you know, it, it didn't, I mean, I, I'm sure I fielded a few questions on my visit to Coors Field. But I remember my answers just being, you know, I've, I'm not, I'm not a Rockies player yet. I've, I've got a lot of work to do before I'm in the major leagues. And I, I really believe that I wasn't just trying to say the right thing. I, I knew there would be struggles and I knew it wasn't a guarantee that I'd pitch in the major leagues. So that, that was my attitude. And I knew it was, wasn't something I'd have to worry about until I got there. Right. And you got there pretty quickly. Like, did you just like show up to minor league camp that 2002, 2003 and just said, I don't want to do this and do everything you can to get <laughs> real quick? Because you didn't spend long. No, in fact, I struggled. My first, um, 
my first full season. So my first spring training, 2003, it would have been, um, I got placed in high A. So in the California league and my first two months there were brutal. And, and, um, it had me thinking like, you know, what am I doing wrong? Because I'd, I'd look around and I'd see some of the pitchers having success and I was out working them. Some of them, I, you know, if anybody's listening to this, I don't want to make anybody sound bad, but I always felt like if I worked that I'd get results, that was kind of my attitude. And if I, I, I looked around and, and some people with the work they were putting in and they were getting good results and I wasn't getting those results. And um, I was wondering, I was starting to doubt, you know, my, my preparation and um, my, yeah, my first two months were brutal. And, you know, fortunately I had a good pitching coach who, who stuck with me, spent a lot of time with me, taught me a lot of things, uh, some important things that I, I took till my last day pitching. And uh, I turned it around and, and it, it was almost like a, like the flick of a switch. I, I, I started pitching like I knew I could. And I rode that all the way. I mean, it was, it lasted right up like a couple of years until I got called up for the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I rode a wave of confidence that, that really I spent the rest of my career trying to recapture. Yeah. That yeah. Makes sense. Was it, can you give us one of the things the coach told you? Like, was it just like rotating your body like 12 degrees this way? Was it something simple or was it a lot? Yeah, more- it would be nice if it was something so specific. Right. But like, it's so much of pitching is trying to keep it simple. And yeah. um, I remember there was a bullpen session I, I had after a bad start and, I was talking with my pitching coach and, you know, I'm trying to hit the glove here, trying to hit the glove on this side. And the catcher who was uh, Dan Conway, who was a teammate of mine, really all, all through the minor leagues. He came up to the pitcher's mound after a pitch and he, he was almost fed up with like trying to catch whatever slop I was throwing to throw, trying to throw up there. And he was he, like, he was tired of, of watching me do whatever I was doing. And he, he kind of just told me like, why don't you just throw the ball hard as you can just like throw the balls, throw the ball harder. <laughs> and, and just that little thing, like it kind of got me mad that he was like tired of watching me struggle. And, and I did it and whatever I did just kind of got me right. And um, all of a sudden the ball was sharper. It was making a big loud pop in the glove and it was going right where I wanted it to every time. And it was, it was just that clearing of my head that I needed and a little bit of aggression and just the right approach mm-hmm. to, to get it right. And, and not having all these thoughts in my mind about, like you said, moving my body 12 degrees to the left. If I'm thinking about those things, then it's too much, right? It's not going to work. I took that into my next outing and, and I got good results. And all of a sudden my breaking balls were sharper. My change-ups were better. I was moving the ball in and out and, um, you know, like I said, I, I rode that wave the rest of the season that our team made the playoffs. Um, and then again, the next year moved up to double A and, and I had the same success and really I had the same approach, just keeping my, my mind simple, my approach simple, but, um, that's really what I did. That's super interesting that it was just like, just like what that one sentence just yeah. spiraled your career upwards like that. Yeah. And, and, and I had some cues, right. Some, from some coaches where it was like, you know, get the ball out of your glove sooner or, or, or get your leg out or stay back. Those kinds of things, those kinds of cues followed me 
my whole career as they do most pitchers. I don't want to make it sound like, you know, I just went up blindly and heaved the ball toward home play. There were, there were like yeah. very specific things I learned to do in my delivery, but when it got too complicated, that's what you had. That's what I had to do is just get it back to like, all I'm thinking about is where I'm throwing the ball and being aggressive with it. It's almost like an, an approach to a pitch rather than actually thinking about where every little body part is going. All the things I, I, so I coached middle school baseball, not to brag or anything. Um, and we had our first, uh, we're in our first week of practice and I got this raw talented seventh grader, big, big dude, powerful dude. And he wants to pitch. He gets up there and just throws little beanies. Perfect. And then I'm trying to teach him, all right, let's try the windup and all these little steps. And it's the first time he's ever practiced, ever seen it. He doesn't watch baseball, doesn't know the game, kind of like what you were saying earlier. And I'm trying to teach him, coach him through these windup and all this. And he goes, coach, I have no idea what you're trying to tell me. I don't know what to do. And I'm just like, all right, just throw the ball, throw it hard, throw it right to the glove and just boom, boom, boom. It's all non-fundamental. It's, it's whacked, whacked out and it's something to work on, but get up there, throw the ball, and he was pinpointing. So it's just kind of funny, just like kind of very small, but like it even. Well, if, if, and if you think eight. that's if you think that's limited to a seventh grader, the no hitter that Ubaldo Jimenez threw, he threw the whole game from the stretch. Yeah, because he couldn't figure out the windup for whatever reason that night he couldn't figure out the windup. He couldn't throw strikes from the windup. So the the coach said, I'm just throw from the stretch. <laughs> that is crazy. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. Wow. Um, going to that to that 2007 season, um, we talked to Hirsch a few months ago, month ago, so ago, and he said that kind of the biggest thing was the team chemistry. Um, do you agree, disagree? And like who was kind of the glue, like who was the we tried to get something out of him, the jokester of the team, like who kept it loose. And we just want to hear all about 2007. Well, I mean, chem I think chemistry is certainly one of the more memorable parts of the team as, as a player on it. Cause when you're celebrating, it just makes it more fun when you're doing it with people you love, you know, and mm -hmm. um, just so much fun. I mean, it, it was so new, I think to all of us. I mean, how many of us had even played in the playoffs? I don't know. Very, not very many for sure. Um, as far as the jokesters, Ryan Spielborg's for sure Notorious, was, yeah. was a glue guy, right? Like he could go anywhere in the whole clubhouse and have a conversation or, or bring two people together who are totally different and, and have a conversation, you know, and, uh, I appreciate people like that a lot. Cause that's not me. And I, I wish, I really wish I could have been a guy like that. I, I, one thing in my career, I wish. I wish I was able to do was to relate more to to Latin American ball players and really where they where they're coming from in playing professional baseball and I didn't have appreciation for that I don't think when I was playing mm -hmm. um, seeing where they come from and what what they go through just to play I, I would love to have a conversation with those guys and you know Spillies was a guy who could do that you know Spilly was a guy who could bring a team together and um, also a guy like, like Jamie Carroll, who, who had played so long and had no ego about his place on a team. He, he come off a bench, come off the bench and play anywhere, anywhere in the infield. I think he even played in the outfield. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, those guys are invaluable to a team, right? I mean, people always remember 
guys like Helton and Tulo and Matt Holiday um, because they really carry the team some days, right? When they put up the numbers, they do. But it's, you know, it's guys like Jamie Carroll and Ryan Spielberg who come off the bench and keep people loose and, mm-hmm. you know, keep, uh, really keep a team from tightening up. Those, those, those are the guys you appreciate. Yeah, that's, I think that was Hirsch's answer too, was Philly was the glue guy going through and through. And that's a special talent too, like being able to connect people with all different backgrounds and just going, go out of, out and just talk and connect and. Yeah. And I think you see it on TV too. I, I, whenever I try to have a Rockies game on, you can, you can tell Spilly's good at, he's just always been good at broadcasting. You know, I hear him on the radio too. And he loves baseball. He loves talking to people. He loves joking around. He loves making fun of himself. That's an important quality too, right? Is someone who can, you know, make fun of themselves and can listen to other people make fun of them and take it and laugh and dish it out. That's not, that's not something that everybody has. That's for sure. Definitely. Right. So do you watch much baseball now? Yeah, for sure. I, I love, I love having it on because you don't have to, like watch it like a hawk you can have it on and move around the room or you can leave the room and come back um living in canada the blue jays games are on every day rockies games come up on later so if i'm you know a weekend day i can watch a rockies game because it's on in the afternoon but if i'm still up at what time does it come on like nine o'clock at night out here i can i can i can have it on and you know i love i love aaron drew's voice and jeff and I miss George on the broadcasts, but you know, I, I think the, the broadcasters do a good job, make it entertaining. Do you have a team you follow? Like, are you a fan of anything or are you just the fan of the game? Well, I'm a Blue Jays fan. Um, Cause I have been my whole life. Right. And then I'm still a Rockies fan. I still, I mean, I, was, I root hard for the Rockies. I mean, the only guy left I played with, I think is Charlie. Um, since Nolan's gone now too so yeah um, but really like all the staff front office it's all all the same people it has been forever so uh, I root I root for the Rockies a lot so being being a Blue Jays fan was it pretty cool being able to suit up for them towards the end of your career definitely definitely and I spent most of the year in the minor leagues uh, playing in Buffalo but I I did get a couple of call-ups I got a September call up and that was the year they won the AL East for the first time in, I think, 20 years, maybe. Um, so to be a part of that was just great. Um, I, I wasn't a, a huge factor on the team. I was kind of like the mop-up guy in the bullpen, but still a role, right? I mean, somebody's <laughs> got to do it. So uh, it, it was. It was, a, it was a big thrill. And uh, I, I think it being my last team, too, like I, I got to, it to be my last team. Like I've got the Blue Jays jersey hanging on the wall with my picture so um yeah it's it's a cool memory no doubt kind of full circle because you said that they were going to draft you if the rockies did it and yet yeah yeah too that's part of it too with, um, yeah. baseball is poetic like yeah, i think the blue jays have a history of drafting like canadians they do they do like to draft canadians and and have those players in their system so um you know i would i wouldn't have been the first i certainly haven't been the last so Mm-hmm. but yeah we're we're all fan i mean you're kind of just a fan of the blue jays living around here my kids kind of grew up watching them and reading about them and we go to games try to go to a few games during the summer 
what's one rule change that you would change as like a fan ex player like well i'm fully in support of the universal dh i don't know if you guys sit on there but i i know my feeling trying to step to home plate trying to hit a major league pitcher I, <laughs> it was embarrassing i don't think fans need to be subjected <laughs> to that i mean it is cool that i can say i got 35 big league hits uh we don't have to say how many at bats it took me to get all those hits <laughs> um it's kind of cool to say i got to hit in the major leagues but as a fan i I've, I'm fully in support of the, the DH. What was, it interesting. Like to hit? what was it like trying to hit? Was it just like close your brutal. eyes and, and hope for the brutal. best? No. I mean, I was a half decent hitter in high school, like we all are, right? Um, but then I didn't get in at bat till I was 25 in double A. And, and all of a sudden, I'm trying to hit 96 miles an hour. I had no chance. Like, <laughs> and with a wood bat, like a heavy wood bat that I've, I haven't swung ever. I had was no, I was nowhere close. And then you, you know, you get to the major leagues, and Randy Johnson's pitching for the Diamondbacks. <laughs> Even trying to bunt off him, the ball's coming from around the corner. <laughs> so I just, I never was comfortable, I, especially on the bases. I never was comfortable. It's it gave me an appreciation for guys who really, really run the base as well, because mm. it is really difficult. Um, but yeah, I, I, I never belonged at home plate I, I most pitchers don't some pitchers can hit but they're still not as good as like the ninth hitter in the order so yeah put the dh in there i think we can all all agree on that for sure yeah, yeah. um last last question i guess the you being the rockies pretty successful i would say rockies pitcher in coors what are your thoughts about coors effect I don't know. It, it really wasn't a huge topic of conversation for us as a staff. Um, I, I don't know how much they talk about it now. I, I feel like they do talk about it more. They're I think like maybe they're trying to solve something. I don't, I don't have an answer. I, I'm, I'm on that long list of pitchers who puts together a season or two that's really good and then can't back it up. You know, it's Jason Jennings, uh, me, Aaron, you know, Aaron Cook had a few good years, but then, you know, couldn't back it up. Ubaldo mm -hmm. uh, had that amazing year and then really couldn't do it again. I mean, Jorge De La Rosa, I think, might be the only guy who's been able to do it. Um, Kyle Freeland even had that amazing year and, and has had some injuries, some ineffectiveness. I'm, I'm rooting to, like heck for him to, to have a good year. Right. Yeah, it seems like they really just kind of emphasize, like, just go out and execute and it all take care of itself. And they've just kind of ridden that for the last couple of decades, I guess. And it's just, you know, they tried to solve it with one thing with hard throwers and then one guy might do it, but then the next five can't. And ground ball guys, one guy can do it, but the next five can't, so on and mm -hmm. so forth. So it's, I mean, it really is a conundrum. It's, it's really more talked about, sounds like, in the fan base than it is amongst the staff. But it's an interesting thing to think about. Yeah, I, I don't know what solution there is. I, it, it's really, I mean, they, they've, they've had teams that can slug, right? Mm -hmm. And still, it hasn't been enough to keep up, I guess. I don't know. Did you ever feel different, like your pitches were moving different? Or do you ever yeah. notice the difference in your stuff? Definitely, yeah. definitely. And, it, and the, the hard part, you know, a visiting pitcher can come to Colorado and 
and notice maybe his slider's not breaking like it normally does or his sinker's not moving as much. And then make an adjustment for the day and, and then, you know, leave and go on about his business. But as a Rockies pitcher, you're, you know, you pitch in Colorado, you might make an adjustment and figure it out, but then you go to LA or you go to Philadelphia and you got to make another adjustment. And then next start, you're back in Denver. So you're making another adjustment and it's just all year long going back and forth, back and forth. There's no groove, right? So if you're a guy who really relies on ball movement, which to some degree we all are, but if, like I'm reminded of, of a guy I played with my last year there, Tyler Chatwood, who, who, who really threw a hard sinker and he would, he would have a great game in Colorado and everybody's like, okay, Tyler's back. Right. And then we go to LA and he pitch in LA and his sinker is, is moving like this much and it's short hop in the catcher. And he's, he'll spend the first two innings or the first 40 pitches trying to find that sinker. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and, Next thing you know, he's got 65 pitches through three innings and, and, you know, with whatever silly rotation thing we had going on with the, the four man or, or counter, whatever we had, uh-huh. he's pitched three innings or four innings or three and two thirds. And, and that's his outing, right? He really hasn't even got a chance to figure it out. And I think that's the, the challenge as a Rockies pitcher is you're all year long going back and forth, back and forth. You just can't find that groove. Yeah, I, that, I kind of forgot about that four man rotation that year that you guys did that. Like, what what were your thoughts on that? Well, really, I was just happy to be in the major leagues again. I had, <laughs> I had I had been I was in spring training with the Reds, didn't make the team. I was in the minor leagues. And then I had an opt out of my contract at the end of May. I think it was two months into the season and um, opted out and the Rockies signed me. So. I think I had a couple of starts with the Rockies before we tried that. And I was, I was open-minded to it. I was like, okay, you know, I I can get through five innings with 75 pitches. The problem was a lot of the guys on the staff couldn't right? like Drew Pomeranz, who was young, Tyler Chatwood was young. Mm -hmm. They would get through maybe three innings and then um, a long guy would come in. Um, one One of whom was Adam Ottavino at the time, who was great. I think that year. But I think for the guys we had, it it just didn't work. I mean, I I think most of my starts, I got through five innings with 70, 75, 80 pitches. A couple of times pitched on three days rest, which I liked. But I mean, yeah, overall, it it didn't work. And it's easy to to look back and kind of scoff at it. um, But, you know, to their credit, they were just trying something, trying something new. Whatever was going on in Colorado was not working. Mm -hmm. And that didn't work either, but. You know, I, I, I was I was at least open minded in the moment. Yeah, it's refreshing to at least know that they were attempting to address the issue, right? Yeah. Always yeah. Put it out there. Um, we'll end it with this of uh, some lighthearted fun questions. Um, who what is like the one at bat hitter that you remember, like the biggest strikeout of your like career that that like that moment? Like, I don't know. I just think if I was ever up there and I got the chance to like face Mike Trout and I was able to strike him out, that'd probably be like the highlight. Like what was like that? Um, Well, my, my second start in the major leagues was in San Francisco and it was, and when it wasn't a good start, but in the first inning, I, I struck out Barry Bonds on a high fastball, which in the moment I'm just a young kid. I, I didn't really realize how huge that was. I was getting a lot of high fives, but, 
Um, this was like the last year Barry Bonds was winning all those MVPs. I think he won maybe four in a row. And if you threw ball one, it was an intentional walk. Like if, if you went 1-0, like the, the four was coming from the dugout to put him on. So that was at, really at the height of Barry Bonds. So I guess to, to be able to have struck him out, I guess, was kind of cool. I, I, and I still remember it for sure. That's awesome. Yeah. I think, yeah, it's like kind of crazy to be talking to somebody who struck out Barry Bonds. Like that's... <laughs> <laughs> This might be the highlight of my life, right? <laughs> I'm not a big fan of Barry Bonds. So the fact that you struck him out and we're sitting here talking about it, that's cool. Well, he definitely got me a couple of times later on. I mean, we, being in San Francisco, we faced him enough that I, I, I gave up probably a couple of splashdown homers. So. I was watching yeah, a broadcast was... the other day. I was watching a broadcast the other day and Drew and Jeff were talking about um, how, you know, despite whatever your personal feelings are about the era and, and Barry and whatever it is, when they talk to big league guys, everybody says the greatest hitter of all time is Barry Bonds. You, would you agree with that? Probably the best I ever seen, I ever saw. And, and intimidate, like as a young player coming into the major leagues, intimidating. I mean, he was not only a huge guy, but just larger than life. I mean, he, he stood right on home plate and his stance there was like leaning over with his bat waving, choked up with his bat waving. I mean, he was like, it was daunting, you know, for a young guy coming up. There was nowhere to put the ball. There was nowhere you could throw it thinking, okay, he can't hit this for a homer. You know, there was nowhere you could throw it thinking like, okay, well, he'll just hit a single the left. Anywhere you put it, anywhere near him, he could hit a homer. And most of them he did because he didn't see a lot of strikes, but he still hit, you know, 50 homers a year. Yeah. Yeah. Harry Bonds, man. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> you struck him out. That was the question. That's what we're going to focus on. You struck out Barry Bonds. That's cool. Um, Jeff, no, wait, where was your favorite? Where where was your favorite place to pitch? Oh, I like that. Or question. Where, what was like the best park you ever went to, or anything like that? Uh, my favorite ballpark, other than Coors Field, I, I really think Coors Field is one of the prettiest ballparks in all of baseball. But my favorite, other than that, was Dodger Stadium. Hmm. I just think it was the loudest. Um, a few times I pitched there, and it was full. And it was, it was the loudest. Their, their sound system is like a one, is one like, I don't know if you've been there, but it's one like giant speaker in center field. Mm-hmm. So they, you know, they don't have speakers all around the stands like at Coors, right? It's just one speaker like blasting music in center field. And <laughs> for whatever their, for whatever reason, their fans are loud. And the, I mean, the playing surface is, is perfect there. I, I went there as a kid and saw a couple games. I remember thinking, god i'd love to play on that field you know and stepping on it it lived up it lived up to every expectation it's just the, the perfect playing surface i think I noticed, um, go ahead Kirk. well i was just saying i'm gonna say that um, i noticed earlier you mentioned playing in philly you put a lot of emphasis on that did you have a pretty rough welcoming there pretty often i think it's pretty well known Philly fan, I don't know how much trouble I'll get in for saying this. Philly fans are the worst fans. <laughs> but I think that's, that I think that's certifiable. That they're the best because they're the best at being bad. Yes. Because they are rotten. Worse than worse than the towns you probably think it would be like New York. Yeah, Philly's the worst. <laughs> and that bullpen you're warming up, they're like just feet away from you. And, you know, you can almost feel their 
their spit flying on you from the yelling at you. So they're bad. They're bad. If you ask people that question, who are the worst fans for a visiting player, you'd probably get a lot of Phillies for answers. And they wear it like a badge of honor. Like Philly fans love being considered Philly fans. They do. I I think they take it to the next level because they're known for being bad and for they're known for booing their own players. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost the opposite. Like growing up in Nebraska, we're all Nebraska football fans and we always get the Nebraska fans are just the nicest when you go there and it's almost like Nebraskans take it to the next level because that's that's the character. Because we're supposed to be. Yeah. Yeah. I remember when I was young, I went to Coors Field and Manny was playing left and we got like in the front couple seats down the third base line and we shouted something at Manny Ramirez and it was a, it was a full stadium and we shouted something silly. It was like, Manny thinks hot dogs are sandwiches or something like that. And he heard us and he turned and he just glared at us. And I was like, I'm never trying to heckle somebody <laughs> ever again. <laughs> like, I'm, no, okay, I'm done. <laughs> I think we all looked at each other like, holy crap, he heard us. He responded yeah. to us. And I think he's upset, and I don't like that. <laughs> I wonder if he remembers that. We should have him on. <laughs> I think we'll try. <laughs> that would be pretty epic. That would be awesome. Um, Jeff, thank you so much for coming on and just talking ball and talking about all the questions we've had since 2007 and all that. So thanks, yeah, man. It was fun. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me.